Jeremy said the same. It's one of the busiest times of the year in Jerusalem, okay? In fact, according to many, it's the busiest day of the year in the Jewish calendar in Jerusalem. We are right in the middle of one of the three biggest pilgrimage feasts that, was, that would have been celebrated every year in Jerusalem. And this feast is called Shavuot, okay, Shavuot. And it's known, also known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the Harvest or the Feast of First Fruits. And church, the place is buzzing, all right? So imagine yourself in Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's like Newton Arts Market on the Saturday, right? So many people about, so, so much good food and things to buy. And the Jews from all over Palestine and the surrounding nations have come to celebrate this wonderful feast. They've come to give thanks and praise to God for his faithfulness to them. This feast celebrates and commemorates the giving of the Torah, of the law, of the teaching to Israel, God's people back in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, and the commitment there made by Israel to serve the true and living God. We all know that story. And you know, it wasn't so long ago that we, the remember you're an apostle this morning, okay? Stay in character. That we were here in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover only, only a few weeks ago to commemorate our ancestors' freedom from slavery in Egypt. Do you remember it? It was only a few weeks ago. Well, Peter, of course we remember. How could we forget? It was a Passover like no other. There had never been a Passover like it and there would never be one like it again. And as things unfolded in the week leading up to Passover, it became clear to all of us, to all of his followers, followers to all of his disciples, that there wasn't going to be much to celebrate. You see, things didn't go as we wanted. Things didn't go as we had planned. But you know what? That wasn't important. What was important was that God had a plan and a purpose in everything. Jesus, our master and our Lord, the one who we loved and had followed for many years, he was taken from us, he was arrested, he was taken before the high priest and the governor, and then he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. It was not the Passover that any of us wanted. It was not the Passover that any of us had planned. It did not go the way that we wanted or could have imagined. Jesus, our master, our beloved friend, our rabbi was taken to a hill called Golgotha and was crucified by the Romans there between two common criminals. He died, he was placed in a tomb, in a borrowed tomb owned by a man called Joseph of Arimathea. We all went into hiding, fearing our, for our lives, fearing what the Romans and the Jews would do to us if we were found. We stayed together and tried our best to comfort one another. And then the news came a few days later. Some of the women had seen Jesus. Some of the women had seen him in the flesh. Yes, he was alive. He had risen from the dead. Amen. We sang it this morning, Jesus is alive. He had been in the tomb for three days, but the stone had been rolled away and he was alive. And now we have him back. As his followers, as his disciples, we have him back. And over the past 40 days, he has visited with us on many occasions. He teaches us concerning the kingdom of God and has given us the commandments to live by. Many, many commandments. You know, it's been the, the most wonderful time and we're all praying as his apostles, okay? Stay in character, yes. We're all praying that this time Jesus will stay with us. We want Jesus to be with us forever. And we want to know, now that he is back with us, 
When will he get rid of these pesky Romans and restore Israel back to its rightful place? But he doesn't really answer us. Instead, he starts talking about this Holy Spirit thing, this spirit of truth. Before all the events of Passover, he had mentioned this Holy Spirit thing a few times before. Apostles, do you remember what he told us? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you do, I will ask the Father to give you another comforter, and he will. And through this comforter, God would abide with us forever. And he called this comforter the Spirit of Truth. He told us all that the world would not receive the Spirit of Truth because they don't see him and they don't know him. But he also told us that this Spirit of Truth dwells in us and would later be in us. This Spirit would be in us. Jesus told us that he would not leave us without comfort. I say it all the time, you can't get enough of comfort. Amen. But that he would come to us. Jesus himself would come to us. He went on to tell us that this comforter, this spirit of truth, this is the Holy Spirit. And that the Father would send the Holy Spirit in his name. And do you remember the wonderful words of encouragement he left with us? He said to us, peace I leave with you, peace I give unto you. It's not a worldly peace, but it's a true peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let your hearts be afraid. And here he is again talking about this Holy Spirit, this spirit of truth. And he's telling us, apostles, don't leave Jerusalem. Stay put. You're to wait. Just wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, the promise that you have heard me talk about before. Yes, John baptized with water. You all remember John the Baptist. He baptized with water. But you will all be baptized with this Holy Spirit in the next few days. You will receive power when this Holy Spirit comes upon you. Yes, the Holy Spirit has been with you always, but, but now the Holy Spirit will be in you. It will be in you. And when this promise has been fulfilled, you will be my witnesses, witnesses of my death and my resurrection right here in Jerusalem. But apostles, I don't want you to keep it in Jerusalem. I don't want you to keep it here. I want you to take the message to Judea. I want you to take the message to Samaria. I want you to take the message to the ends of the earth. I want you to be my witnesses, to bear witness of me, to testify of me and the truth of my resurrection in every part of the earth. This is the mission and the task that I am leaving with all of you. The promise will soon be fulfilled and then you are to go. You're to go. I told you that all things must be fulfilled. All the things written in the law and the prophets concerning me. I'm trying to help you understand the scriptures. Don't you see now? Do you see it? Do you get it? It was necessary for me to suffer, to die and to rise from the dead. And now I am sending you out to preach repentance and remission of sins among all the nations beginning here at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and very soon I will send the promise of the Father to be on you, but first you must wait. And then the power from on high will come and then you will go to the nations with the good news of the gospel. Can you say amen? But first, Jesus says, 
I must go. But before I do, I want to bless you. Church, you all with me so far? You staying in character? Good. You can take a break for a minute. It's at this point in the story that Jesus and the apostles go to Bethany where he lifts up his hands and he blesses them. You can read about this at the end of Luke. The last chapter of Luke is just wonderful. And it is at this moment that Jesus is taken up from them and carried up into heaven, carried up into the sky, and they see him being taken by a cloud up into the heavens. And the closing passage in Luke's gospel tells us that the apostles, at this very moment, they worship Jesus right where they are, on the mountainside, and return to Jerusalem with great joy. They return with great joy. And we find out that they continually meet in the temple where they praise and where they bless God. But not only did they meet with their fellow Jews in the temple, as they had always done, but they borrowed, as they had done for the Passover meal only a few weeks ago, an upstairs room in Jerusalem to be together and pray. Jesus had told them, commanded them to stay in Jerusalem and wait, and that's exactly what they would do. That's exactly what we would do. Back in the character, okay? You all got the name of your apostle in your head? Probably lots of James and Johns, right? Any Judases? <laughs> He's not here at this point, Danny, don't be worrying. So, we go to this upper room in Jerusalem, all of us together. But it's not just us, his apostles. The women who follow Jesus are there too, including his precious and beloved mother, Mary. And now his brothers have joined us too. This is just wonderful. We're all together to worship and pray. And there is such a beautiful atmosphere when we meet together. There's just something different about it. There is a sweetness there is a, a bond, there is a peace and a love and a joy, but there is also such a strong sense of unity. That's what it is. That's what we can feel. Unity, togetherness, agreement. We are of one purpose and one mind, aren't we? Yes. We are in agreement concerning our calling right now in Jerusalem. We are united in our obedience to the Lord and what he has commanded us to do. He told us to stay and to wait and that's what we are going to do. Leave your character for a wee second. We'll come back. Let's get out of the story for just a second. You see, Luke, in recording this event for us, writes in verse 14 of Acts 1 that all these, the apostles, the women, and the brothers of Jesus continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. With one accord. This is a phrase that, that Luke will use three times in the opening th three or four chapters of Acts. It's important. We have two words, one accord. But when Luke writes in Greek, he uses only one. But it's a word made up of two other words, Okay. The first word carries the meaning of being in the same place or being together, like what we are now. We're all in the same place. We're in the same building. The second word literally means passion, okay? It carries the idea of fierceness. Some of you can be fierce. And it carries the idea of indignation. This is a passion. These people are passionately together, Okay? These words come together as Luke tries his best to describe the unity and the togetherness that existed in this upper room in the busy and bustling Jerusalem. This is not just a unity of mind. It's a unity of passion. 
The apostles, the women, and the brothers of Jesus are of one mind, yes, but they're also of one passion. One passion. This is a notable unity, and this leads to notable prayer. You see, they all prayed. Luke Luke tells us that they all prayed. They continued in prayer and supplication, seeking the Lord, and in my mind, most likely asking for this Holy Spirit. Lord, send us this Holy Spirit that you promised. This Spirit of truth, pour it out on us today. I can hear them saying, Lord, when is it coming? Send it now. We need your power. We need your anointing on us. Fill us with this Holy Spirit that the Father promised. Send this comforter, this helper. We need it now that you have gone to sit at the right hand of the Father. Lord, you told us that you would not leave us comfortless. You told us you would come by your Holy Spirit. Well, Lord, we're here. We've been obedient. We're waiting. You told us to stay and wait. Here we are. Send it now. I imagine that's what the prayers were like. Back in the character. We didn't have to wait long. Because all we need to do is read a little further down the page and Luke tells us about it. Here we find the apostles again with the women, the brothers of Jesus, and possibly many others who were followers of Jesus meeting to pray and to seek the Lord. And what does Luke report for us again? Look, here he is again. They were all with one accord in one place, of one mind, of one passion. All of the believers were together in one place. They were in one purpose and they were in one mind and they had one unified passion and that was to pray for this Holy Spirit to come. And then it happened. Do you remember? We were all praying and seeking the Lord, asking for the Lord to send this Holy Spirit to us, to give us this comforter. And then there was this sound. Do you remember it? It was like the sound of a, like a mighty rushing windstorm and it sounded like it was coming from heaven it filled the whole room where we were gathered we'd never heard anything like it do you remember it but then something even more incredible happened little tongues little flames of fire started to appear on everyone in that room they, sat, they came and they sat on each person and then everyone in the room started talking in languages that we didn't understand. It was pandemonium. Never seen anything like it. And this was it. This was it. This was the Holy Spirit being given to us just as Jesus had promised. The Holy Spirit had been with us, yes, but now the Holy Spirit was in us. <laughs> Church, you can imagine the absolute confusion this caused when people began hearing about what had happened outside in Jerusalem. I'm back in the character now, just so you know. Some some even accused us of being drunk. People in the town accused us of being on the drink. It was only nine o'clock in the morning. I'm not that bad. There was absolute pandemonium and chaos all around us. So I, Peter, I decided that I had to do something. So I stood up there on the steps with my fellow, oh, with my fellow um, apostles. I raised my voice and I began to speak to the crowd that day. I told them what the prophet Joel had prophesied many years ago. I told them about Jesus, that he was a man approved by God. 
that even though they and many others had called for Jesus to be killed, that God, through it all, was working out his greater plan and that God raised Jesus up to new life. I stood on the steps and I quoted the psalmist David and I spoke about David and I made it clear and as plain as I could. I said, I want all of you here today to know that God has made this Jesus that I am speaking to you about both Lord and the anointed one, both Lord and Christ. And then something truly amazing happened. Do you remember it? Stick with me. Do you remember it? Is that a yes? Good. Something that we did not expect. The people began to ask us. They began to ask me, Peter, what can we do? John, what can we do? James, what can we do? Brothers, what are we to do with what Peter has just told us? So we told them. I told them. You have to repent. You must be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and then you'll receive the glorious gift of the Holy Spirit, the same gift that we have received. And do you know what they did? 3,000 people on that one day in Jerusalem gave their lives to Jesus and were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was so incredible. God was at work in the hearts of those gathered in Jerusalem on that day. Fellow apostles, do you, do you remember it? Say yes, Pete. Wasn't it incredible being there and experiencing that? You can get out of character again. Are you all with me so far? Good. I hope you're following. I hope it makes sense. You know, what an incredible account of an incredible day that Luke gives us in the book of Acts. It was a day that would change things forever. And the story begins with a promise. And it is a promise of provision. It's clear that when Jesus was about to physically leave the earth to return to heaven, that he understood the need his disciples had for God's spirit dwelling in them. Yes, he would leave, but then the spirit of God would come. In fact, Jesus had argued earlier that this was why it was important for him to go. Because while here in bodily form, he could only be with some of them some of the time, but the Holy Spirit could be with all of them all of the time. Isn't that wonderful? Church, it was actually to their advantage and to our advantage that Jesus did go, that he did leave, so that the Spirit could come in fullness. Let me ask you something. How important is the Holy Spirit in the church and in the believer? How important is it? I would say that it's absolutely critical, that it's of vital importance. Church, we can't live fully and completely for God without the Holy Spirit's power and presence in our life. It's important to understand that this experience that would happen in a few days in the upper room that we've just talked about, it was not, it was not about conversion. It was about provision, okay? It was about provision, the gift was one of power to come alongside each and every believer, each and every apostle, each and every follower of Jesus to equip them for God's work, for mission and for ministry. There was a promise, yes, a promise of provision and that provision, as we know, would bring power. Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, Jesus shifts their attention away from the coming kingdom to the coming spirit. And he tells them that they will receive power. P-A-R, power. Power, say power. 
They will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And you know, this power, this Holy Spirit wasn't just to give them a wee tingle to make them feel good. It wasn't to give them some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling, some kind of lovely experience that would last half an hour, an hour a day. It wasn't, and I tell you this for sure, it wasn't for them to feel superior to other people or to other Christians. No, it was to give them power to do what? To be witnesses. To be witnesses. It was power that would transform them into witnesses for the resurrected Christ. Church, their own power and their own abilities, as, as good and as strong and as amazing that they were, it was not enough. It was not enough. No matter how gifted or able they were, you see, the work of evangelism, the work of being a witness, does not depend on our clever programs. It does not depend on our skills. It does not depend on our abilities. As much as God can use those, it depends on the power of the Spirit in our lives. That's what it depends on. But too often we misunderstand the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to make us feel good. It's not just to give us a supernatural experience. It's to empower us to go out and be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Amen? To witness for Christ in the power of the Spirit. A promise of provision. A provision of power. And the provision of power would lead to proclamation. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's be clear this morning. This gift was not for personal blessing. It was for proclamation. You know what? You all know what a proclamation is. It was power with purpose, and the purpose of the power was to proclaim the good news concerning the resurrected Jesus, who they had just spent the last wonderful forty days with, who had now ascended to heaven. This Jesus, this Savior of the world. Yes, they had the words of Jesus already, but you know what, Church? The Word, and I love the Word of God. But hear me when I say this, the word without the spirit cannot accomplish the purposes of God, but neither can the spirit without the word. They needed both and we need both. Can you say amen? Listen to this. I wish I'd written this. This, this quote, a guy called Don Lyon. If you have the spirit without the word, you blow up. If you have the word without the spirit, you dry up. If you have both the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. Isn't that good? The Spirit without the Word, you blow up. The Word without the Spirit, you dry up. Both the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. And here's the sobering truth, church. You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily make us better than other believers who are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it does make us better than ourselves. It's not good news. It makes us all, hopefully, better people, better Christians, better disciples, better believers. Why? Because it enables each one of us to be a witness for Jesus Christ in a way that we couldn't be without the baptism of power. And lastly, it's personal. Acts 2, 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The Holy Spirit didn't just come upon the church 
which was gathered in the upper room, the tongues of fire separated and sat on each of them. Every single person. No one was left out. Each person was filled, well, personally. This was a personal thing. All were filled, not some, not a select group, but all. And we know from Luke's record that their experience before Pentecost and after is the difference of night and day. These people were changed. They were changed in an instant. Boldness, power, and courage all come to life in those baptized in the Holy Spirit. The fire of God's Spirit took this group of of hard people and shaped them into his church, into his called out ones, a church of power, and this fire made all the difference. What happened on this day? Church, it had to be the work of God. It was supernatural. We have the sound of a rushing wind. We have the tongues of fire. We have people speaking in other tongues. Let's be clear, something very powerful happened on this day in Jerusalem. Something very powerful happened. All who were present on Pentecost Sunday were transformed and this newfound church, this group of called out ones, this community of faith in Jesus were given the power to do the work that God had called them to do. That's what was happening here. That's what Pentecost is all about. Every single one of them were powerfully transformed that day. It wasn't just about the church in general. It was about a personal experience for each and every one of them. You know, here's the truth. No biblical scholar has ever debated the change that came over the disciples once they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You won't find it. But it's too bad that we have so much debate over this experience itself. Church, we must experience it and the rest will take care of itself. God will take it from there. Look, we've talked about the promise of provision, the provision of power for proclamation and how God has made this provision personal. And lastly, we know that God has done this with a purpose in mind. Simply the purpose of this baptism, of this pouring out of the Holy Spirit was to equip the church, to enable the church and every believer to proclaim the gospel. This alone makes the gift so valuable. Look, we we know the apostle Peter was completely changed by this experience. Only days earlier, he had been hiding from the Jews for fear of his life. Now he stands up on the steps in Jerusalem and he proclaims Christ's death and resurrection and the need to repent and receive Jesus. Peter was, no one can tell me that Peter was the same person. He was not the same person after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now he has power, he has purpose, and he preaches and proclaims with results. Peter clearly preaches Jesus' call to repentance and the Holy Spirit empowers him as he does so. The same Peter who could hardly convince anyone to follow before now witnesses and over 3,000 people get saved. No one can tell me there isn't, that's not a changed man. There was a boldness there, there was a courage there, there was a conviction, there was power, there was purpose from the promise of provision. What was the difference in Peter's life? He'd just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Can't make it any easier than that. Can't make it any clearer. He was a changed man because he'd been infilled with the Holy Spirit. And this was true for all of the disciples in the upper room. You know, their lives became the stuff of legends for their commitment to Christ and their proclamation of the gospel. They they did as they were asked and they took the gospel to all the nations. They no longer feared death. God's power and purposes were so much greater now in their lives that everything else became secondary. Church, 
We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. Amen? We need it today. We need it as much as Peter, James, John, and all the other disciples and the followers of Jesus needed it back on the day of Pentecost. You see, the Bible teaches that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all believers and that it is God's power given to us so that we can be effective witnesses of his death and resurrection to all the world and to give us the power to be what we can't be in our own strength. Isn't that right, church? That's what God wants to do for each of us. Church, we are called to be, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this, we are called to be witnesses. Open your mouth and speak. You know what a witness does in court? Gives evidence. That's what we are to do concerning Jesus. We have felt the power of his resurrection, haven't we, in our lives? We're called to be witnesses of that. That's what we're all called to do, right where we are in this community, in this city, and in this country. We have, the, we have the promise of provision and this provision gives us power, the power to proclaim the good news. And this promise is personal. It's for you. It's for you. Betty, it's for you. It's for all of you here. Marion, it's for you. It's for every single one of you. And this promise has a purpose that the world will come to know Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, that those who live in our community, in our city and in our country will all come to faith in Jesus, but God wants to use us to do it. He's already promised. There's provision, there's power. There's the, the, the power to proclaim and to be a witness. And I've said this promise is for each and every one of us. It's personal and he has given us the promise of provision to go and serve his purposes. Church, let me say it again. I'll say it 50 times if I have to. He has called you to be a what? A witness. Say it with me. A witness. Say it loud. A witness. That's what we're all called to do. If you're searching for your purpose in life, you're, if, you're, if you don't know what God wants you to do, I can tell you today, you don't, even, you don't have to ask anyone else. I've got the answer. You're called to be a witness of the resurrected Jesus Go and do it. Go and do it. Don't talk about it. We're good at talking. <laughs> Some of you are great at talking. Well, let's not just talk about it. Let's go and do it. Do it in your family. Do it in your workplace. Do it in the community where you live. Do it when you go to your wee knitting club or when you go to your, all you women, you go to a different thing every day and get free lunches. <laughs> Laura Taylor knows who I'm talking about. Be a witness there. Be a witness wherever God puts you. You don't have to be up here. You don't have to be, to be in the SSE arena having a five-night crusade. You don't, have to put a, you don't have to go into the center. All you have to do is talk, sit down and talk to someone and tell them about Jesus and what God has done in your life. That's what being a witness is. Share your personal testimony. Share your personal walk with the Lord. Share what the Lord has done in your life. Do you know what? That'll hit home better than anything. And do you know what? I, I, I feel sometimes that we're just there's a statistic that says it can take between a year and two years to actually build a relationship with someone before you even go near, this, go near the topic of Jesus. We, we need to build relationship with people. Let the person be your friend before you're sticking the Bible down their throat. Yes, build a relationship with them. Let them know that you're normal, that you're not a weirdo. <laughs> take time. 
with them, care for them, meet their needs, do whatever you need to do. But just be a witness. And yes, of course we can be, a, we, we need to be witnesses with our words. I'm not saying that we shouldn't share. The, what I'm saying is that you can be a witness with your words. You can be a witness with your walk. You can be a witness with your work. You can be a witness with whatever you do. There's four W's off the top of my head. All right? Just go and do it. Go and be a witness. Take time tomorrow. Tell someone about the gospel. Sure, but just tell someone what Jesus has done for you this week. Has Jesus done something for you this week? Yes. Well, tell them about it. Open that big gob and sure. Here's what Jesus told his disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the good news to everyone. Romans, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? I've got to tell them. I've got to tell them. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Well, I'm sending you this morning. I'm telling you, dig it off your bum and go and do it. Go and do it. That's my, my, I've done my job. My job this morning is to encourage you to go and be a witness. And I'm praying that we'll all do it, including myself. How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I don't think I have beautiful feet. I don't, I don't really. They're a weird shape. But I want, I want to have beautiful feet. I want my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I want all of us to go out of here this morning walking the gospel out of here. Literally, I mean, if I could, if I could give you all free slippers that ha had some kind of magic to make you, but that's what we're called to do. We're called this morning to go and let's all go with beautiful feet this morning. Maybe you don't have beautiful feet. Maybe they're like mine. Maybe they're horrible. But spiritually, we can all have beautiful feet when we go out, when we go, when we share the good news, when we tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in his name you can be saved, you can have life in his name, you can have abundant life now and you can have an abundant life in eternity. Church, there's no better news than that. There's nothing better than that. Everyone in the world, they're running about like headless chickens trying to find things to bring them peace and joy and comfort and, and all, all this stuff. They're looking in the wrong place. They're all looking in the wrong place. I believe we're all born with a God-shaped hole in each of us and only God can fill that hole. And it's our job to get out there and tell people, tell your neighbor, tell your brother and sister, tell your auntie and your uncle and your granny and granda, tell everyone that you meet that Jesus is alive and that Jesus has the power to save them. Amen. I could go, look, I've said enough. I could go on all morning. I'm only, I'm only getting started. I'm only getting started. Let's go out. Who wants to go out with beautiful feet this morning? I want to go out with beautiful feet. I want to be a messenger for the King of Kings and the Lord. of. I want to go out and share what the Lord has done in my life. And I pray that I'll, I'll take every opportunity I get. And I'm praying that you'll take every opportunity that you get to tell someone that Jesus is alive and that 
He loves you and he wants to save you and he wants to spend eternity with you. That he's provided a way out of slavery of sin. That he's provided a way for you to be made right with God. That he's provided a way for you to come into perfect fellowship and communion with him and then bring them along to church because we'd love to have them here and get them filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together.